of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, chapter number 7. For those of you joining us for the first time or catching up on this series, we've spent several months looking at the life of David, and we've themed this study, Following the Shepherd. And you see on the front page of your notes, we're studying several themes, several movements in David's life. And right now, we're in the middle of it all. So we come to 2 Samuel chapter number 7. And this is a key passage. I want to just prep this morning and prepare us that this is a key passage, not just in the life of David, but 2 Samuel 7 is a key passage in the entire story of the Bible. It's really a key passage in the entire story of history, of human history. And so I want us to approach it with that understanding right from the start. And so that's why I've titled the message today, My Place in the Story. And when I say the story, you've heard the, I'm sure you've heard before the, uh, the expression that history, the study of history is truly his story. It's the working and moving of God from the beginning of, of history as we know it into the end. Aren't you thankful that as Christians, we know where the story is headed? Don't take that for granted. One of the uh, friends in the church sent me a podcast a little while ago, and the, the, the man who was giving some spiritual thoughts talked about the significance of that, that for the rest of the world, uh, without Christ, without the message of the Bible, there is no story. We're just here. We don't know where it's headed or where it's going, but as believers, we have a place in God's story that He has already written from the beginning. And we'll talk about that today. So by way of introduction, you'll notice in your notes, King David himself plays a key part in the story of humanity. And this passage, and what you're going to see in just a minute as we start to read, the passage begins with David's desire to do something big for God. He says, God, I want to do, I'm so thankful, I'm so grateful, I want to do something big for God. But David is going to be surprised because God actually has something big in store for David. And he's going to learn today that his life carries significance. Beyond his short number of years, David lived to be over 70 years old, a good full life, especially in his day. But his life would carry significance far beyond those 70-some years. And God's plan is unfolding. You and I, we also play a part in that story. So let's look at the scriptures this morning. Verse number 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 7, and it came to pass when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies. Now, what has ha transpired just previously, we looked at this the last couple of weeks, there, has, there was... If we go one step back, David has brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. He set up proper worship. We look back even further, and one of the kings from the surrounding nations had brought him material and laborers to build a magnificent house for David. And he had subdued all of the enemies around him. David is no longer on the run. He's not just an insignificant shepherd boy. His kingdom has come into fullness and power. He's at the very peak at this moment. And at the top of this mountain, he says in verse number 2, the king said unto Nathan the prophet. We haven't met Nathan yet, but he was one of the prophets of God, and he will appear again in the story in coming weeks. So to this trusted prophet, this trusted advisor, the man of God who hears the word of God, he says, Nathan, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar. Now, in this day and age, the houses that people would live in, they certainly weren't cedar. You tell me, what would the houses have been constructed of? They're just tents. They're just, or earth, or they're made of, they're, they're, they're earthen structures. And David looks around, and I can imagine he thinks back to where he came from. Some of you maybe can relate to that and, and, and modest upbringings and the way you grew up. I'm just amazed all the time when you hear the stories of people who grew up in the Depression era. And more and more, they're, 
no longer with us. But you hear those stories of humble beginnings. That was David. He came from humble beginnings, just a shepherd boy in an outpost in Bethlehem. And he stops and he looks around and he says, Nathan, I dwell in this house. It's made of cedar. I mean, look at the architecture. Look how beautiful this place that I live is. And something just didn't sit right with David. Because he dwells in the house of cedar, but the ark of God, it dwelleth within curtains. He says, God, I took your presence. I took, I took the ark of the covenant and we put it into a tent. Nathan, I, this just can't be. So, in verse number two, he says this. In verse number three, Nathan said to the king. Now, Nathan's excited, right? Nathan's a, Nathan's a prophet. That would be like, I can just imagine, you know, somebody comes to, to me or, or my dad and they say, hey, you know, I've just been doing a lot of things on my house and my house is just looking really good, you know, and, and this just can't be. I want to make the church look better than my house. I'd be like, all right, go for it. Let's do it. You got the bank account? I can spend it. We can, we can make it happen. That's what Nathan says. I mean, Nathan's uh, the prophet. He's like, you want to upgrade the facilities? Go for it, da go for it, David. But Nathan's actually a little bit hasty because this wasn't God's plan. Nathan just assumed, well, of course, this must be what God wants. But this is not God's plan. But Nathan says in verse number three, go, do all that is in thine heart. The Lord is with thee. Now, God truly was with David, but this was not exactly God's plan. So verse number four. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me an house for me to dwell in? I think part of what's happening here is God is making known to David, David, I am so much more than your plans for me. I am so much greater. And really the first point I wanted to make this morning is, is this going to be David's plan or is this going to be God's plan? And so sometimes I think you and I are the same way. We approach God and we say, God, here's the plan. Here's what I'm going to do with the life that you've given me. And sometimes it's a great plan. Sometimes it's a magnificent plan. But sometimes God comes and says, but what about my plan? What about what I have for you? And so he gives a series of questions. It kind of reminds me of the questions that God gives, gave Job. If you study the book of Job, Job's going through a difficult time. And he says, God, why? God, why? And God answers with questions that just point to his magnificence. Well, the same thing happens here. God says, this is what I want you to tell him. Shall you, are you going to build me a house to dwell in? Verse 6, whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, why build ye not a house me a house of cedar? I didn't ask for this, David. Now, therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. I don't think that the... and, and I could be wrong, but I don't believe that the Lord is coming down hard on David. I think that the Lord is protecting David from the pride that could easily well up in his life, in his heart. See, it's not so much in life about what we do for God. It's understanding what he has done for us. And I want to encourage you. We, we are a, a church that, to our very best ability, we try to encourage each other, and, and inspire one another, and sometimes challenge one another to be all that we can be for the Lord. Do you think that's important? 
I absolutely think it is. We don't want to be a church and a group of believers who just sit back and say, well, I've received all this grace from God and I'm not going to give anything back. We don't want to just be spiritual takers. We want to be spiritual givers. But in our spiritual giving, is it possible sometimes that we could become impressed with our level of involvement in the work of the Lord? Impressed with ourselves. Impressed with how much we gave how much we do, how much, how faithfully we attend. And God doesn't want that to creep into the heart of David, so he starts to remind David, David, let me tell you, don't be so impressed, don't be so concerned with what you're doing for me. Let's be reminded of what I have done for you. So he says, in verse number 8 once again, Now, therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheepcote, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee, whithersoever thou wentest. It was me, David, that was with you. It was me who cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight. I'm the one who gave you a great name, like the name of the great men that are in the earth. He says, David, it was me that gave you, you remembered it was me that gave you the power to kill the lion and the bear. It was me that took that slingshot and took that stone and drove it into the head of that giant and slew Goliath. It was me that protected you as you ran from Saul. It was me that gave you the power. It was me that set you up. God said, I am the one. I have done all of this for you. Has God God done things in your life this morning? Has God moved? Can you look back and say, look where you are and say, it was God, it was God, it was God. Well, verse number 10. Moreover, David, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, And will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. I do have plans for this, and we'll see this We'll see this now, verse number 12. And when thy days be fulfilled, when you're dead and gone, David, when you sleep with your fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. Now, this is the very first time David has heard anything about the future. This is the very first time David has heard anything about what is yet to come. And he says, David, you're going to have a son. He shall, verse 13, he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 14, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house, and thy kingdom, shall be established, say it with me, forever. Thy house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you'd help in the remaining time that we have. I pray that this, the word of God would speak to us, that we would make the application, that we would understand the scriptures. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. David's plan or God's plan? Well, you saw already that God says, I have a greater plan for you, David. At first, David, probably when he heard this, at first, David thought, well, I had this great plan. God, I was going to do this for you. And then he starts to hear, it's not my plan. And I imagine David is just 
I mean, he's humbled, right? Like, ugh, boy, I'm sorry, I got way out of line. But then we come to what we just read in verse number 12, and God gives David a vision of the future. So while he's been brought low, he's been humbled as to what his plan was and now what God's plan was, now he sees, whoa, whoa, this plan is far greater than I could have ever imagined. This is, your plans for me, God, are so much more significant. And what you have here in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 17, is what theologians refer to as the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant. Now, this is very, very significant. The verses that we just read, as I said at the beginning, they represent a central theme of all of the scriptures. If you understand this, you'll understand the entire story of the Bible from start to finish. You see, in the scriptures, there's a, there are a series of covenants. Now, how do you understand a covenant? What, is a, what exactly is a covenant? We're more familiar with terms like contract, right? Or promise. When I was a kid, I've told this, some of you have heard this before. My dad's already smiling. When I was a kid, we were, um, most of my childhood, we attended a Christian school, but for a couple of years, we were homeschooled. And I remember uh, the Bible lesson on covenants. And I remember my dad uh, teaching about, teaching me and my brothers about what a covenant was, that it wasn't just a promise. You know, and I don't know how theological this was or wasn't, but it stuck with me as a kid. He said, you know, you can make a promise, but sometimes people break their promises. But a covenant, a covenant, if you make that, you can't break it. So forget. So from that point on, I mean, I'm probably seven, eight years old. Aaron's just three-year-old running around, you know, causing trouble. From that point on, there was no, I solemnly swear, there was no cross my heart, hope to die. There was none of that. From then on, it was, you don't believe me? Well, I covenant. So you got all these, you talk about a little nerddom going on right there. You know, you're out in public and these kids, they're like, oh yeah, it's a covenant. That's a, co that's a covenant. You covenanted, you know? So, but the idea is, um, I like to think of it this way. When a covenant is made, it's, it's beyond a contract, and especially in the spiritual covenants, because a, co a contract would be signed before witnesses. But a covenant is only as great as the power of the one who has the ability to keep the covenant. Would you agree with that? And so, as it, so marriage is a covenant. As a man and a woman, they make a commitment to one another, but it's not just a commitment to one another, and it's not just a commitment between witnesses, but it's a commitment that brings who in as the solemn witness? God. God. There's a solemnity to the covenant. In, in the Bible, there are five major covenants. Now, there are other covenants that are made, but if you're going to understand the Scripture from start to finish, you need to understand this. So, so there's plenty of information here for you to study later on. We're obviously not going to look at all of these passages, but there was a covenant that was made with Noah in Genesis chapter number 8. It was a covenant made with Noah after the flood and a covenant that was made with all of mankind. That was the first uh, major covenant that God made. Secondly, in, later on in the book of Genesis, there's what's known as the Abrahamic covenant. It was a covenant that God made with Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make of you, you have no children, but I'm going to make of you a great nation, multitudes. And your people are always going to have land. There's always going to be a seed or offspring, and you will have the blessing. And he says to Abraham and his children, I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. That was the Abrahamic covenant that, by the way, has still not been replaced. It's an eternal covenant that God made with Israel. Then there's the temporary covenant. The third major covenant was a covenant with Moses. Some of the covenants were temporary. Some were eternal. The Mosaic covenant was the giving of the law. And God gave the law, the Ten Commandments, and the rest of the law. He gave it to Israel. And Moses said, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you keep the word, a curse if you disobey the word. 
That was a covenant of the law, the covenant of Moses. And today we see the fourth covenant, the covenant with David, which is, as we just read, an eternal covenant. He said, David, you, your kingdom will be forever. That means that this is not something in the past that we're reading about, but we are reading about something that is in existence this very day. Remember I told you, you have a place in history. We have a place in the story. The covenant of David is just as in effect today as it was when God made it to David. And then, of course, you're familiar with the fifth covenant. We also refer to it as the New Testament, the new covenant, the covenant that was made by Jesus and sealed with his blood, the covenant of grace that all who believe in Christ will be part of the eternal family and people of God. That is the new covenant. So five major covenants in the Bible, and this here is the covenant with David. Now notice it again. Look back at verse number, uh, let's look at verse number 12. Let's just notice this covenant. We'll point out a few things about it. So back in verse 12, and when thy days be fulfilled, I encourage you to stay with me. When thy days be fulfilled, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I will set up thy seed after thee. So there's going to be a kingly seed. There's going to be a kingly generation. The seed refers to the offspring. There's going to be a kingly seed which shall proceed out of thy bowels. I will establish his kingdom. Now that would be fulfilled by Solomon. Solomon would be the next king in this covenant. He's going to build a house in verse number 13. Verse 14, I will be his father, he shall be my son. He better stay in line or else he's going to be a disciplined son. You see that in verse 14 too, right? Verse 15, my mercy, even if he disobeys, though, the covenant is not expired, right? If, what if he does disobey? Well, he'll be chastened, but verse 15, but my mercy shall not depart away from him. Verse 16, and thy house and thy kingdom shall be established, how long? We saw it already, forever. Could Solomon fulfill that part of this covenant? The physical son of David, could he fulfill the eternal aspect of the covenant? No, of course not. There must be a greater one that is being spoken of. There must be something, there, there must be even greater significance to this. Because has there been times in Israel where there was no king sitting on the throne? Has that happened in human history? Is that the case today? Yes. But is there still a king of Israel? Absolutely. That's Jesus. Well, I'm getting way ahead of myself. But that's where it's all headed. Well, notice this. Notice a few things about this covenant, and then we'll get to the good part that talks about Christ fulfilling it. But we need to notice a couple of things on the way before we get there. Notice, um, really thirdly today, the conditions of the covenant. We read it, so I'm not going to read it again, but you'll see that the conditions of this covenant, this covenant was an unconditional covenant. There is a difference between a conditional covenant and an unconditional covenant. If I come with you and say, hey, in fact, marriage itself is somewhat of a conditional covenant. And forsaking all others, keep thee what? To myself. The expectation is the exclusive nature of the marriage relationship. That's what makes it the covenant. Other covenants are conditional. If you fulfill A, then I will do my part and fulfill B, right? If you do this, I will do this. Is that the type of covenant that we're seeing here with David? It's absolutely not. He comes in, God comes in, and he says to David, David, I have a plan for you. Well, what do I have to do? You just have to be David. Okay, I can do that. What do you have to do? Nothing. What, what is the guarantee of this? God says the guarantee of the covenant is unconditional. I will do this. It's an unconditional covenant. Now notice this. I put this comment in here. The guarantee of the covenant was unconditional. However, the quality of the covenant relationship was conditional. Let's unpack that for a minute, that statement. If David and his sons, the kings of David, if they did anything wrong, would that terminate the covenant? Could anything terminate this covenant? 
No, nothing at all. But notice what verse number 14 does say. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will what? Chasten him. I will chasten him. I will chasten him. You see, in the covenant, there's a covenant relationship. And the quality of that relationship would be affected by obedience. It's, it's very similar to the, the covenant relationship that you and I as Christians have with God, isn't it? If you have come to faith in Christ, the Bible says you are born into the family of God. That means you are justified, you are sanctified, you will be one day glorified. Is there anything you can do to change any of those things? Not a thing. There's not a single thing that you can do. Just like the covenant God made with David. Oh, David, you are David. You have received this covenant. Covenant believer, you are a believer. You have trusted Christ as your Savior. Because of that, all of the promises are unconditional. You don't have to wonder. I don't have to wonder, well, what if I don't live up to, what if I'm not the best Christian in the world? Will I lose my salvation? Will I fall away? Is there any possibility of that? No, the Bible says that we are kept by the power of God. That our the covenant we have with Him is secured not by our ability to stay in it, but by His commitment to us. We don't work and worry and wonder if we're living up to our Savior. No, we rest in the security of that covenant. However, just like this covenant that God made with David and his sons, what if we are disobedient? Well, we can expect the same thing, the chastening of God, the chastening hand of God. Chastening is corrective punishment. It's not punitive. It's not to punish us for our sins. But listen, God desires, first of all, to be a father to us and for us to be his children. God's desire for the covenant is to have a family. And you'll find in your life that the more you walk in obedience to the Lord, the more you walk in obedience, the more wonderful the experience of that relationship. Amen? Right? The more you walk, however, as we walk in disobedience, as we pull away from the Lord, He is too loving to let us stray far away. Interesting mirrors in these covenants. In fact, I gave you in the handout Hebrews chapter 12. This is in the New Covenant. In Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 7, my son, my son. Hebrews 12, uh, 5 through 7, my son. It's in the middle of the verse. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Verse 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? The scripture goes on to say, if you, if you, you can sin however you'd like, and you don't receive any correction from the Lord, you should question whether or not you are legitimately a child of God. Because who the Lord loves, He corrects. We've entered into an unconditional covenant, but God is going to maintain the purity, and God is going to do everything He can to keep us close to Him. And sometimes that's correcting a wayward sheep, correcting a wayward child. So there's the first thing we notice, the conditions of the covenant that were given. Notice another thing here and I'll be more brief on this point, the call into the covenant. The call into the covenant. Did David say, did David wake up in the morning and say, God, I really think you need to do something more for me. Right? Like, I want something more. How about, how about you do something for my son? How about you do something for my son's son? Was this covenant God's idea or David's idea? Well, certainly it's God's idea. God is the, is the God who has always been the initiator. God was the one who created man in the garden, and they walked with him. God was the one. Remember, when man disobeyed, when Adam and Eve disobeyed, they went, and what did they do? They hid themselves. They ran into hiding. They broke the relationship with God. And who was it that pursued who? Did they go after God, or did God come after them? Adam. Where are you? 
where are you? Adam, where are you? God has always been the one to work. Noah, the whole world is a mess. Did Noah say, God, you got to do something about this. You got to use me. No. God said, Noah, I've got a plan for you. God is the initiator. And it's the very same with you and I. The Bible says that there, are, there is no one. Romans chapter 3, there is no one who does good. No one. The Bible says we're all gone out of the way. In the book of Isaiah, it says all we like sheep have gone astray. And it says in Romans chapter 3 that there is none that seeketh after God. That no one, there's not a person in this world who says, you know what, my life would be better if I sought after God. Now people may have that thought, but you know why they have that thought? Not because it started with them, but who put that thought in their minds? God did. He is the initiator. He is the one who pursued. In fact, don't you remember perhaps in your life when you were far from God, you wanted nothing to do with God, and then all of a sudden, something you had a change of heart. You had a change of interest. Was that you? No, it's the Holy Spirit. I heard a wonderful testimony that that one one of the ladies shared with my wife recently, how that they had, in the past, they had come to church before. And they had heard teaching and preaching before. And as they, as they, as that person sat there, they, you know what? They said, we didn't get anything out of it. I didn't get anything out of it at all. But then at some point, something changed. And all of a sudden, the scripture spoke to my heart. Why? Because it's God doing the initiating. In fact, this morning, I could have the best sermon in the world, the worst sermon in the world, it's really irrelevant. It's irrelevant. So long as the Word of God is spoken and the Holy Spirit is present. Because God is initiating His covenant. God is coming in and God is speaking to every person's heart. And God is saying, forget your plan. In fact, you need to repent of that. Let me show you not what you're going to do, but let me show you what I'm going to do. Let me show you what I'm going to do. God initiates, and we simply respond. We are not, we bring nothing. Think about this. We bring nothing into the covenant. We're simply beneficiaries and participants. We receive. I love this. I've this statement has stuck with me, and I've heard several uh, pastor friends using this actually over the last few years, but it's a great perspective. Just like we don't have a religion, but we have a... You've heard that one a lot, right? I love this. Our relationship with Christ is not something that we achieve, but it's something that we receive. That was how it was for David as well. I love 2 Timothy 1.9, just to remind us that it's God who hath saved us. Are you saved this morning? Are you saved this morning? It is God who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus when we were born. The moment we believed. No? When? Before the world began. Now, I am not one who believes, because I don't think the Bible teaches, that God chooses certain people for salvation and rejects others. I don't don't believe that because the Bible doesn't teach it. However, However, we need to understand this that before the foundation of the world, God knew all who would come to him. We are elect, First Peter says, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So God in his foreknowledge knew, knows who would believe him, who would, who would receive him. He gives man that opportunity to accept or reject. And all who believe have been predestined before the world began to be justified to be sanctified, to be glorified. My future was settled before I was even born into this world. Say, Ethan, I don't really understand all of that. Me neither. 
You can't unpack that and unwind it. You just have to rest in it and trust it. That God's ways are not our ways. But the whole point, people miss it. People think, theologians especially, theologians, Bible teachers, we are among the worst. I put myself in the Bible teacher category, not the theologian category, just in case you're wondering, because I'm no theologian. We're the worst because we look at a passage like that and we think, you know what? We've got to understand this. We've got to delve into the mystery. We sang that song today. We'll sing it again at the end. Come behold the wondrous mystery. We think we've got to understand it all. That's not why it was written. It was written to encourage us. It was written to tell us that God has made a covenant with his people and it will not change because it was established before the world began. The covenant with David has so many similarities to, to the covenant God has made with us. Let's go now on to the next point. So we've seen the, um, the Davidic covenant, the conditions of the covenant, the call into the covenant, and now where I've wanted to get the whole time is the Christ of the covenant. You know what that word Christ means? What's the Hebrew word for Christ? I'm not expecting you to say it in Hebrew, but what is the Hebrew word for Christ? It's translated, no? Yes, Messiah. Messiah. In the Greek, it's Christ. In the Hebrew, it's Messiah. That for, for ages and ages, for millennia, the people of God, Israel, the people of God longed for Messiah. They waited for Messiah. They waited for Jesus. They didn't know his name would be Jesus, but they waited for the promised one. They waited for the Christ. They waited for the one who would be, as the prophet said, God with us. They waited for the one who we're about to see would be the eternal king of David. Now, here's what happened. Remember all the covenants? Just say yes, even if you don't. You know, that way I feel good. I can move on, all right? Remember all the covenants? Well, there was that one with Abraham. <laughs> and God says, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Great nation. And in your nation, now, little trivia, that nation of Abraham would be what people? Israel. From Israel, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. Well, how would that be? It would be through who would come from Abraham? Jesus. And you and I who are not Jewish, we're blessed because of Abraham. So God is narrowing it down. Abraham, through your family, the promise will come. But now God narrows it down even more. And he says, in this big family of Abraham with all these 12 tribes, it comes down to one tribe, the tribe of Judah. And then from the tribe of Judah, it gets narrowed down to the house of Jesse. And in the house of Jesse, it gets narrowed down to one young shepherd boy who's now the king, and his name is David. God has narrowed the focus in. But the promise is, is from Abraham to Jacob and his sons, to the 12 tribes, to Jesse's house, David. David, there will be an eternal king that comes from your family. And then, that's because the promise of an eternal kingdom can only be fulfilled in an eternal king. And then we have the breakthrough moment in all of history. When heaven and earth are split wide open, and an angel appears to a young woman named Mary, in Luke chapter 1, Mary, behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call, it's all caps here, folks, you got to help me out, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great. I always thought that was one of the magnificent understatements in the scriptures. He shall be great. Isn't he great? I'm reading through the, uh, the gospel accounts with my kids. We're on a little reading plan, and I just finished the book of John. He shall be great. And shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his Father. Who is it? Up, oh, we brought it together. It's David, and he shall reign 
and he shall reign over the house of Jacob, say it, forever. David, there's going to, your kingdom will be forever, forever. And it's all fulfilled in King Jesus. Physically, physically, he comes from the line of David. He's of the tribe of Judah. His family, you can, and that's why the genealogies are in the scriptures, because you can trace the physical uh, genealogy of Jesus right back to King David. But a physical son of David, an only physical son of David, can't fulfill the eternal king, king, kingship, can he? Because he's not just the son of David, but you notice in that scripture, he's also called the son of the highest. Because he is not just the physical son of David, but he is the literal son of God. He is God in the flesh, united with human flesh. God, united with human flesh, fulfilling the role of the eternal king. Jesus is the king that David was told about here in 2 Samuel 7. And here's why, friends, you need to know the whole of Scripture and see how all of the Scriptures come together. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. For sake of time, you're you're just going to have to take my word for it, but a good Sunday afternoon read would be Paul's sermon in the book of Acts. We're not going to read it now, but it's in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 21 through 38. In that sermon, the Apostle Paul explains powerfully to a group of Jewish people how Jesus is the king they've been waiting for, how Jesus... Excuse me, how Jesus is their Messiah. And he's going to tell them how Jesus is the kingly seed of David. That, that David is going to quote from the Psalms of, I mean, Paul is going to quote from the Psalms of David to show that Jesus fulfills it. And then ultimately this, we know that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that proves and secures his eternal kingdom forever. Why do you worship Jesus? Friends, it's because he rose from the dead. That is why. That is why. Nothing else matters. All of the prophecies were fulfilled. They were fulfilled little by little. Again, reading the Gospels, it's amazing how many times Jesus said, the Bible says that the Scripture might be fulfilled, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus did this. Jesus did another thing, that the Scripture would be fulfilled. But the ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate step that validated everything that Jesus said about Himself was when on the third day, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and the women came, and the angel said, He is not here. He is risen. And Mary cries and weeps in the garden. Why are you crying? She says to who she thinks is the gardener, Where have you laid him? I'll, I'll, I'll go take him, but where did you put him? Mary. And she knows it's the Lord. And those men and women became witnesses of the resurrected Jesus. And you and I today, we didn't get to see him physically resurrected. But the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart and the, the witness of history proves to us that Jesus is in fact the risen Son of God. He is the promised Son of David. And that means that it doesn't matter what my plans are, what I think about the Bible, if I like this teaching, none of that matters. The big question is this, did Jesus fulfill the prophecies and did Jesus rise from the dead? And so for that, I owe him my life. I owe him my devotion. And he doesn't ask anything of me. He doesn't ask anything of you. He says, I'll make a covenant with you. Just say yes. Just say yes. Has there been a moment in your life where you have said yes to Jesus? Has there been? Go ahead, you can answer me. Has there been a moment in your life where you said yes to Jesus? I hope so. But maybe you weren't able to answer that question with a yes. Maybe you say this morning, I don't know if there's been a time in my life where I've received Jesus. Well, you can do it right now. You're like, you're not even on your last point. Nope, sermon's not over. I'm going, to show, I'm going to give you one more closing point. But God might be speaking to your heart right now. And right now you're saying, you know what? I need Jesus. You could be watching the live stream. You could be listening later on. Have you ever personally... Jesus came for you. He came for me. He's calling to your heart. He's saying, you are a sinner. You are lost. Receive me by faith. 
So, Ethan, don't you give like a little prayer at the end? Yes, but the prayer doesn't matter. If God is speaking to your heart right now, the prayer can simply be, yes, Jesus. Yes, I believe. Yes, I receive. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and if you'll believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Thou shalt be saved. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? You just confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Do you believe that he lived a sinless life? Do you believe that he took all of your sin and paid for it when he died on the cross? Do you believe in your heart that he rose from the dead? If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you're saved. The covenant is yours. You're born again. You enter into a relationship with Christ. If you've never done that, do it right now. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. Be saved right now. And if that has happened in your life, there's great confidence in where it's all heading. And that's the last point. In the back of your notes today, the culmination of the covenant. Where is it all heading? Where is this life going? You see, as we've already said, God has revealed His story to us from beginning to end. Our lives have significance when we understand the purpose for which we have been created and the purpose for which we live and where it's going. I shared with you at the beginning, and I listened to this podcast several weeks ago, and the author reminded me, or the the speaker reminded me, just struck me with the fact that, wait a minute, Ethan, you've grown up in church, you've known the Bible since you were little, you just take for granted that there's a plan, that this is all headed somewhere. But without Christ, what is the purpose of your life? You live, you accomplish or not, and you die. And for our friends and our neighbors and people that you may even be here without Christ, what is the purpose? Well, I live, I die, I don't know. I've had family, that was their, that was their mentality. We live and we die. Then what? Then what? I don't know. I hope so. I got some ideas. Then what? Then what? The plan of God is creation of mankind, the fall of mankind, the redemption, and then the new creation. Look at the future. Look at Ezekiel. It's right in your notes. This is the scripture we'll finish with. Ezekiel 34, 23 prophesying way out into the future. I mean, before Jesus was already born, Jesus is in this prophecy, and it goes even beyond to the very end. And I will set one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. Even my servant, who? Well, when this was written, David was dead. David's long dead when this is written. So this can't be David, this must be the one who is fulfilling the Davidic covenant, and his name is Jesus. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken it. And I will make with them a covenant of peace, and will cause the evil beasts to come out of the land, and they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. You're like, what is this? He's saying... There's going to be a better earth. There's going to be a better place. You, you know, you just go to sleep in the woods. You got to wonder what could happen to you. You got to worry what's out there. There's a day coming. The other prophets would say where the lion will lay down with the lamb. Verse 26, I will make them and the places round about my hill a blessing. And I will cause the shower to come down in his season. We'd appreciate a little more seasonality to the showers right about now, right? But I'll make the shower, but they won't just be, there'll be showers of blessing. There shall be showers of blessing. And the tree of the field shall yield her fruit, and the earth shall yield her increase, and they shall be safe in their land and shall know that I am the Lord. Can this... Can this description, does this description 
fit any place on earth in history or today. Is there a place like this on this earth today or has there been in history? Maybe the Garden of Eden, that's about it. I'm skipping down now. Thus shall they know. Thus shall they know that I, the Lord their God, am with them. And that they, even the house of Israel, are my people, saith the Lord God. And ye my flock, the flock of my pasture are men, and I am your God, saith the Lord God. That's where it's going. That's our future. Our future is not a bigger bank account. Our future is not a great retirement. Our future is the kingdom of God, the new heaven and the new earth. Don't miss that kingdom. Receive Jesus. And friends, believers, don't live for anything else. Live for the purpose that you were created for, and the eternal purpose that you have been called into. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? If you still have not received Jesus as your Savior, one last time this morning, I want to invite you to do that. He did everything. Salvation is not something you achieve. It's received by simple faith in Christ. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Would you do that right now, wherever you are, receive Christ as your Savior. And Christian, as we go to a time of prayer and Amy plays the piano softly, we'll, we'll pray together. How is God speaking to you? What are you living for? Take hope and confidence in the plan that you're a part of, but then live it to its fullest. Don't settle for lesser things but live for that eternal kingdom. Let's go to prayer. thank you for how you speak through your word. We thank you for the power and the truth in it. Lord, as we sing this closing hymn, as we continue to bow our hearts before you this morning, I pray that you would just move among us, work how, Lord, you have plans for this congregation that I could not be aware of in my sermon preparation. I couldn't begin to imagine what you're doing in each person's life. So I just pray that we would each meet with you in these final moments. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.